It's time to go into business for yourself. Get ready for another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. Education, insight, and inspiration. Here's your host, small business and franchise expert, Tom Scarda. Welcome to another episode of the Franchise Academy. My name is Tom Scarda, and I'm a franchise advisor and coach. I match people with franchise opportunities. Been doing it since 2005 and just love helping people control their own destiny and really get their own piece of the American pie, I guess is what I would call it. Um, I used to be a New York City subway conductor before I got into franchising. So check out my website, The Franchise Academy, and learn about that story uh, or pick up my book, The Franchise Savvy, where I tell the story of going into business after being a subway conductor and uh, what a grand experience it was. Today, I have Mark Montini with me. This is really cool because Mark has been in several different franchises. He is a renowned speaker. He's built three different technology companies and sold them. He has been in this arena for many years and brings just a breadth of knowledge. You know, it's all about marketing. I had a great mentor say to me once, you have to take 10% of all the money that you make, every deal check you get or whatever your revenue is, put 10% in a marketing fund before you pay your mortgage. Because if you're not marketing, you're not getting customers, you're not getting customers, you ain't got no money. So market first. I want to welcome Mark to the Franchise Academy. Welcome, Mark. Hey, Tom, thank you so much. Uh, This is so great to have you. It's an honor, actually. There's like so much stuff I want to ask you. Um, So you're with premium service brands now. Is that right? I am. Yes. Excited to be here. Been here for about uh, 18, 19 months, really leading a a big transformation and building the foundation for us to be able to even scale faster in the coming years. Absolutely. I think um, premium service brands, Paul Flick, who's actually on the podcast probably two years ago, just a great company, great outfit, growing exponentially. But what I like about it is service. Service businesses, I think, win the day, especially right now in this kind of weird economy that we're in. Um, so what is what do you what is your favorite thing about service businesses? And you've been in uh, quite a few. Yeah. Yes. You know, for me, uh, what gets me out of bed in the morning and, and, and lets me go to sleep fulfilled at the end of every day is having an impact on people's lives. And that's one of the reasons why I've spent so much of my career in franchising is there are very few industries where what you do day in and day out has the opportunity to have impact at scale. Uh, you know, outside of franchising, you can impact um, your your direct reports, you can impact your team in franchising, you've got the opportunity to impact your team and those around you, but you can also impact the lives of those entrepreneurs or those people going after the American pie that you mentioned, uh, their piece of the American pie that you mentioned in the intro. And that's really what gets me out of bed. And uh, the ability to do that in the home services industry has, has just been a blessing for me. And and something that keeps me excited and keeps me driving to do better and perform better on behalf of our franchise owners. Yeah, that's so it's so great. And and thank you for doing that. It it's so important for people to understand that when you buy a franchise, you're not by yourself, but you have a whole team behind you. Right. 
and you got great people like Mark Montini doing your marketing, telling you what you should be doing, what you should not be doing. It's been tested. And the thing about Mark, right, is all about the testing and, and measuring of the marketing initiatives. Could you talk a little bit about that and how you do that? Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I, for a long time, told people that there's really three things that are the big benefits of owning a franchise. The, the first, obviously, is the brand. So a lot of times people look at it and, and, and they like the brand and they think that the brand translates a brand awareness. But I always caution them. It's the brand consistency. It's the brand values at scale that you just can't replicate if you're independent and doing it on your own. The, the second one are the, the benchmarks. And that's what you're really talking about is the ability for me to run the same campaign 150 times across the United States and look at what the results are so that you as a business owner have a tangible empirical way to measure how you're performing. Because if you're on your own and you have a 32% close rate, you can debate whether that's good or bad. You really don't know. You can go have coffee with other people in the industry that do it a little bit differently, but you don't know if that's good or bad. But if there's 150 other franchisees that are following the same sales system and they're averaging 35% close rate, you know instantly you've got three points of improvement that you ought to be able to make up. And then the last one are the best practices. So if we can translate those benchmarks and we can translate those learnings into best practices, what it does is it mitigates the downside risk. So it decreases the likelihood that the business will fail, but more important, it accelerates the opportunity for success. And those three things in my mind are really the secrets of franchising. The idea of the brand values that you can be part of, the benchmarks that you can benefit from, and then the best practices that you can follow to mitigate downside risk and increase the acceleration of success. I just, I love that. And it's so great because like many people may not know who you are or who the, or the, the brand premium service brands and, and, and the, um, the, the, there's nine different brands on the premium service brands that really all service homes, 360 painting, prolif garage doors, there's quite a few brands. Um, but you were also involved in tropical smoothie cafe. That's something that I think has getting a national brand awareness right now. Right. For sure. Yeah. Just starting to. And that's the interesting thing when you think about service companies and and the the idea that you're buying brand awareness. Uh, there are very few franchises out there where they actually have brand awareness. When, when I was at Tropical Smoothie Cafe, uh, we were almost at 100 locations. We had a, a marketing budget uh, near or a little bit over $30 million annually that was spent and nobody knew who we were. Uh, you know, the, Our customers knew who we were. Some people generally knew who we were. But even at that scale, we didn't have significant brand awareness. Now they're to the point where they're truly starting to build brand awareness as they're growing and starting to do national advertising, but you're not buying brand awareness in 99.9% .9 of the franchise systems that are out there. You're buying the brand values. You're buying the brand DNA. You're buying the brand culture, and you have the opportunity to bring that alive in your community as the business owner representing the brand to the people who live around you. I love that. You're so right about that. So when I bought my first franchise, which happens to be a smoothie franchise, Maui Rock, <laughs> uh, greatly different than Tropical Smoothie Cafe, but I'm I get in the in the in the franchise and and we're six months in for me, 
and, and I go to the president there and, and there was only like 25 franchise owners. I said, so like, when are we going to start TV advertising? <laughs> you know? yeah. Where's our Super Bowl ad? <laughs> That's exactly. And I was, yeah, that was the next thing I was going to say. When do we yeah. do a Super Bowl ad? Yeah. Um, and then, I, so- I, I, I did a presentation several years ago, which is why I laughed because I, we had, I was working with a franchise system um, as a consultant. And th- that's what we were hearing is, you know, where, where is our Super Bowl ad? And so I literally put up on the screen a proposal for a Super Bowl ad. And I said, look, we can run a Super Bowl ad. All we have to do is collect 28% of your revenue for the next 24 months and do nothing else from the marketing side. So let's take a vote. Who wants to go from 2% to 28% and who wants no the other support that we provide? And needless to say, it was you unanimous uh they they weren't in favor of the super bowl ad after that that's so funny that's a good way to do it though yeah (laughs) (laughs) that is great and and it's and it's not about like people like oh i want a brand name and and the funny thing is is in a lot of the big brands that you know like a mcdonald's as an example or subway the the ship has already sailed the great territories are already gone you're gonna get the second tier so when you really think it through and, and if you get to talk to a consultant like me or somewhere around the country, you, you'll learn that pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think Tom, I think one of the, the secret sauces, if you will, is that when you, when you look at the companies and the franchises that have real brand awareness, you know, the Burger Kings, the McDonald's, the Subways, the, the, the pizza companies, the one you mentioned in large part, that's because their target customer is so broad. So literally just about everybody in America could be a customer of McDonald's, could be a customer of Burger King, could be a customer of Subway. But when you get to smaller brands, like, like premium service brands and others, the power that comes with using data and analytics to be able to pinpoint who your real customers are eliminates the need for you to truly have brand awareness outside that very small group. And so what it allows us to do is instead of spending a dollar and diluting it by trying to reach 80% of the consumers, we can narrow it down and say, this is the 25% of the consumers that, that matter. So one of the first things I did when I got to premium service brands is we did a big research project where we looked at our customers to try to figure out who is that target customer. And what we found was that 62% of our revenue was generated by 27% of the households in the United States. So all of a sudden, 75% of the households, we don't really have to worry about if they know who we are or not, because our bread is buttered with 25%. And that gives us a huge advantage in our marketing because we're able to, instead of spending a dollar across 100% of the people, we're able to spend a dollar across 25% of the people and have a greater impact when it comes to marketing. Yeah, brilliant, beyond brilliant. And and so that's what makes right now franchising, but also business ownership in itself mm-hmm. easier than it ever was. Yeah. If I mean, I couldn't do that myself if I started my own smoothie company <laughs> or whatever. You know, where am I going to get that data from? And if I could, I couldn't afford it because it would cost mm-hmm. me a lot. And and this, this is a question that you may not have the answer to now, but I, I want to throw it out there is do you use that same kind of, you know, data, avatar data to award the franchise territories? Because I get that question a lot. Like, how do they come up with the territory? 
Yeah, so we actually do. We we take a rather unique approach at premium service brands. Uh, there aren't many other franchises, if any, I can think of that take that approach because what I want to be able to do is measure market share. So obviously revenue is, is what we're focused on driving. It's what our owners are focused on driving. But the true measure of success of our marketing is how much market share are we able to gather. And so in order for me to measure how one territory is performing against another, I've got to make it apples to apples. And so what we've done with our territories is we've done research in each of the industries. You mentioned that we have nine brands. We've researched consumer behavior in each of those nine industries to figure out what is the annual value of a customer in that industry. And then we've cut all of our territories to make sure that our franchise owners can become profitable by having 1.5% or less market share with that 27% of the consumers that I talked about. And so what it does is it makes it easy for us to do an apples to apples comparison to truly measure whether our marketing is working. You've been in franchising long enough, you know, the guy that has a $2 million franchise in a territory where it should be 8 million is given credit for running a really great business when the person who has a $700,000 franchise in a territory that should have a $2 million franchise doesn't get credit. And what we want to be able to say is that $700,000 franchisee, they're running a better business because they've got more market share than the $2 million franchisee. And the way that we cut our territory ensures one, every territory is truly viable. And two, it gives us the ability to accelerate those benchmarks and best practices that I talked about because it truly is apples to apples when you look territory to territory. That's brilliant. I love it. And and that's, I've been trying, I've been beating that drum for years because uh, it's not just an arbitrary, you know, here's a hundred thousand households, yeah. you know, go at it, you know, and there, there's, there should be some kind of backup behind it. And you guys have that. Absolutely. I want to ask you something else that um, there's been a buzz about this Generation X or Gen X uh, or Gen Z, I should say, marketing that that you actually really got behind or spearheaded, actually. So tell me about that. What, what are you doing with Generation Z, is it, or Generation X? I'm, I'm lost. Yeah, it, it was it was really interesting for me when I when I joined um, premium service brands, I guess, 18, 19 months ago, uh, my team was without exception, the youngest that I have ever had. Uh, what, what premium service brands were based in Charlottesville, Virginia, had done a phenomenal job of is creating an opportunity for graduates of the University of Virginia, which is here in Charlottesville, and some of the other universities that are nearby, opportunities for their students their graduates to intern and then ultimately transition into a full-time role after they graduated. And so I still remember the first meeting that I was in. I mean, I, I was in my same normal corporate mode, giving the speech of here's our strategy, here's how we're going to operate. And a couple of them asked questions that really made me pause for a second and realize this is a different environment. I, and so I got to change my mindset, but this group has delivered more in the last 12 months than anyone would ever have thought possible because of their creativity, their work ethic, their uh, willingness and ability to work together. And it's just been fascinating for me to look at how a group of people, almost all of whom are in their first job out of college, have been able to drive successfully a hundred an 80 degree transformation of how we market at premium service brands in less than 12 months. And, and it was just amazing. And, and the key here 
is it wasn't just the transformation. This is what matters to me. Our franchise owner satisfaction in our marketing programs over that 12-month period increased 403%. And so my team are, are young eager professionals who are going to be incredibly successful in their career, who bought into the vision, took ownership of the vision and made incredible things happen. And I am just in awe of them every day. As, as I tell people, uh, I, I wish I was half as smart as they were when I was their age, because I think my career would look a heck of a lot different because they have done amazing work and an amazing job. And what really excites me is how much our franchise owners have recognized and appreciate the work that they've done. And it's been a complete mindset shift for me. Uh, I, I would have never bet, honestly, that you could take a team that was that young and, and that inexperienced just by, you know, where they were in their careers and create that much positive traction so quickly, but they pulled it off and, and I'm just in awe of the work they've done. Well, c congratulations on that. That, that is a feat. Um, <laughs> so great, great going and, and much kudos how how did how do you think all of that affected the franchise owners because that's really the end customer for you at the corporate side yeah, well, when we look at it, at two things, like I said, you know, their satisfaction rate, uh, 403% improvement. And, and I get, I actually got one today, a really nice long email from a franchise owner just saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, you know, he directs it to me, but in reality, it's the team. Anybody that's ever worked with me knows I, I can't actually execute anything. Um, I can develop a good strategy, but uh, if you leave it to me to execute, it isn't going to happen. Uh, they're the ones that have executed it and, and made it a reality. And then on the revenue side, which is where the rubber meets the road, you know, we've seen tremendous, tremendous growth. Uh, same store sales are off the chart. So our existing franchise owners are appreciating it. We're setting records when it comes to new owners. So uh, one of our priorities was how do we get owners off to a fast start and our first year revenue uh, reporting, our first 90 day revenue reporting, they're all at significantly higher levels than they've ever been before. And that's what excites me because anybody in franchising knows if you get the first 90 days right, you're likely going to get the first year right. And if you get the first year right, it's off to the races. You've most likely built a successful franchise owner for the long term. Yeah. Amen. So with nine brands, do you have a favorite? Mm, boy. Um, so I, I'm going to be honest here. Uh, my favorite is whichever one I can lean into to create a little competition with all of the others. So um, I don't have a favorite. I, I just love to win and I want premium service brands to win, but I'll pick and choose my favorites based on how I can tweak a couple of the other brands to step it up a notch and, and try to prove me wrong. So my favorite is whichever one most strategically will, will generate the most traction in revenue growth and excitement. That's so funny. That's great. Good answer on that one. <laughs> Um, so as you work with those younger folks, um, in, in generation Z, what are the big differences that you've noticed? Yeah, it, it is interesting because, um, when I first started in our conversations, they are of the belief that social media can solve every problem that exists. So, you know, when I got here, their mind was marketing and social media were synonymous. They were the same thing. And, you know, as I've really worked to say, no, 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 marketing is a journey that's much more broad than social media. Social media is a big part of it, but it's much broader than that. They have actually done the exact same thing with me with regard to social media. 
media, which is, you know, come on, old man, I don't think you realize uh, how social media impactful it can really be. And so it's been the putting bringing those two things together. And, the, and then the second thing, which I've really enjoyed is is connecting the business outcomes to the marketing programs. Because most of the people on the team came through with some sp- sp- form of a marketing degree. And it frustrates me a little bit, if I'm honest, that they were uh, in school long enough to get a marketing degree and the school never connected it to business outcomes. And so what we've really worked on for the last year or so is to say, look, you can be a good marketer and have a successful career. But if you're a marketer who understands that marketing is only a tool to achieve a business outcome and how do you craft marketing to achieve those outcomes and how do those fit together, those are the marketers that have careers that skyrocket. And the ability for them to learn that and to learn the business side of marketing and then asking questions about how their day-to-day work doesn't just impact marketing, but impacts business objectives is just absolutely amazing. Can you give an example of that? Like how, how you took a segment of a business, did marketing and connected it to the outcome? Yeah. So, so for example, I mean, we, we had a good conversation, um, I don't know, six, eight, nine, 12 months ago. And, and we were talking about how do we get recession ready? So, you know, I, I, I'm not an economist, not nearly smart enough, but I think we all realize something's going to happen to the economy and it's going to be headwinds if, if it hasn't happened already. So the, the questions were from the team, how do we use our marketing to help overcome that. And so we had a long discussion about the fact that you know what we may find is that new customers are harder to come by. They're more expensive to win because the marketplace will be more uh, more expensive so and more competitive. So how do we leverage the relationships we already have? to get the lower hanging fruit and reduce our cost per lead, reduce our cost to acquire a customer. And they took off and ran and said, you know, we're going to do past customer campaigns. We're going to do lead conversion campaigns. We're going to do um, unclosed estimate campaigns. And how do we take the work and the infrastructure, the ecosystem, if you will, that we've built for our marketing? And how do we now use those tools to achieve those goals so that we can increase the percentage of our revenue that comes from those areas as opposed from new customer as opposed to new customer acquisition. So that would be a great example that that's relatively recent and certainly timely with what's going on in the economy. Yeah, brilliant. And that was such a great thing to talk about at this point. Just uh, the whole, what do you do in a recession stuff? Um, Luckily, a lot of these service businesses do actually pretty well in a recession um, because people will spend like on their home, but they might not go to Europe for two weeks vacation. Right. And, and so that's what we've seen. And I was in this position in 2008 uh, with the great recession. And, and so we're, we're prepared to handle all of that as it comes up. So that's great, great insight. As you think about um, premium service brands in general, what, what is an exciting thing or an exciting project that you're working on now? Yeah, probably the most exciting project for me is the concept of stacking. So one of the reasons I I joined the premium service brands team and was so excited was the vision that our founder and CEO, Paul Flick, had about building a franchise system that allowed owners to grow in the traditional sense, with which is horizontally, meaning you go and you buy more territory to operate the same brand, 
or, and this is what stacking is, or grow vertically by stacking additional brands in the same territory. And, and, and Paul's strategy behind that is, for the most part, it's the same customers that are going to paint their house, that are going to repair their garage, that are going to hire a handyman, that are going to put in a kitchen organization system. And the biggest cost of running a business is customer acquisition. So could we create efficiencies by building a model that allows our owners to stack brands in the same territory as opposed to having to grow their territory horizontally. So we really kicked off building that infrastructure a couple of years ago. And this year, we're really leaning into it. And I would say for the first time in a position to be able to do that at scale, where we can go to our owners, whether they're new owners coming in with a big vision or our existing owners that are looking, on, looking at how to take the next step and literally have a model where they can stack premium service brands, companies on top of each other stay in the same territory, but just create new revenue channels in their businesses, which drives down your overhead costs, drives down your cost to acquire customers, and creates all kinds of opportunities that you don't have if you grow horizontally. So that's the thing that I'm most excited about. I've, I've had the opportunity to really lead that internally. And um, like I said, we've taken it to market. Um, we've had our first, I think, six or seven that have stacked this year. And I just only see that accelerating as we move forward. Yeah, I mean that that's the that is the vision for Paul Flick, the CEO, the founder. Um, and, and I think it's so great for, for those who want to grow, you could do it right, you know, in under one umbrella. Yep. Um, and and you know, it's what do they call it? Economy of scale. Exactly. And, and so even like you could cross-train employees and and have keep those people employed and 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 it also will help with employee retention and so great it's just great stuff i really love it yeah i'm excited about it and i'm a believer too and and you know, some people would disagree with me on this and and, and i i wouldn't pound the table over it but my philosophy is it's a heck of a lot easier to build a million dollar business five times than it is to build a five million dollar business and so in essence, what we're saying is you've got both options. You can build a million dollar business five times over, or you can build a $5 million business by going horizontal or a million dollar business five times over by going vertical. And having those two options really allows our owners to scale in whichever way best fits their personal vision and the way that they operate their business. I, I wrote that one down. I like that. <laughs> I'm going to use it. Thank you for that. Um, so if there's someone listening there uh, to the podcast now and they're thinking about franchising, they don't know, they, you know, they they got a job, but, you know, the shoe could drop anytime, as they say. What, mm -hmm. advice, what advice would you give to somebody that's like that right now? Yeah, there's a lot of incredible franchise opportunities out there at premium service brands and, and, and even others that are true semi-absentee models where they're made for the people who have a career and, and, and want to diversify and to a certain extent create their own golden parachute, if you will, or, or maybe a golden hammock, as I've had it referred to, that if you leave your job, you've got a nice place to go comfortably. Um, and, and, and franchising more and more is creating that opportunity. And, and that's a big part of, of 
what we've done here at Premium Service Brands and why we've had the uh, incredible growth that we've had is, is you can literally keep that job and diversify your investment portfolio, if you will, by managing as a semi-absentee owner. It may be There may be a day where either you have to and you've got that as that you know kind of golden parachute or there may be a day where you just get it to the size where you want the hammock and you just decide to leave your job and benefit from the cash flow you've created. And, and, and I think a lot of times people think that it's an either or in franchising. And in some cases it is an either or, but there are more and more franchise opportunities out there that have proven to be tremendously valuable for those people who want to do both and take on that semi-absentee kind of quasi-investor mindset without leaving their job. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. that. And it's so true. That's what most people are looking for right now. Yeah. They, they have a job, but they know the handwriting's on the wall. Uh, so anything can happen at any time in a job. So as we wind down, I have a, a question for you related to um, myths about franchising. <laughs> if you could bust one myth about franchising or, or maybe even the industry that you're in or marketing, what would that be? What comes to mind for you? Can I give you two? Sure. We'll take All it. right. I'm going to do a franchising. I'm going to do a marketing. So I'm going to, I'm going to start with the marketing one. And, and this is a uh, as much a myth as it is a transition that I've really leaned into and I'm passionate about. So the myth on the marketing side to me is the belief that companies today can build brands. I believe that was 20, 25, 30, 40 years ago. I don't believe companies build brands anymore. What I believe is that companies build experiences that define their brand. And it's interesting because historically, customer experience has existed in operations. But because the experience now defines the brand, I'm a big advocate for customer experience living in marketing or whatever the brand capacity is in an organization. So my myth would be that a company can actually build their brand. They can't. All they can do is build an experience that ultimately will define their brand and what that brand is. Um, so that that's my, my marketing myth. Um, my my fran- franchise myth gets a little bit into that dirty game of politics. Um, the, the myth of franchising that a lot of people don't understand is, is they look at franchises like Subway. They look at franchises like McDonald's and Domino's Pizza. They look at franchises like premium service brand, and they think that they are the same as a Fortune 500 conglomerate, and they are not. And that that myth is something that we as an industry need to help overcome. Franchising is about opportunity. Franchising is a consolidation of hundreds and thousands of small business owners working their backsides off every day of the week, trying to live a better life. When they work together, they become a large brand that generates lots of revenue, but that's very different than a non-franchise business. And if we don't understand that, my fear is that there are people in government who will regulate franchising in a way that will eliminate the opportunity for franchising to do what it does better than anybody else in the world, which is create opportunity for men and women who are ready to go out 
out and do the work to capitalize on that opportunity and not just change their lives, but in theory, change the lives of their children and their grandchildren and other people in their community. And so the myth of franchising in my mind is that people who don't understand it think that there's no difference between a $500 million non-franchise organization and a $500 million franchise organization. And that's just not true. The truth is the $500 million franchise organization is 100, 200, 500 small business owners working their backsides off to make a better life for them and their families. And that is completely different than what people on the outside looking in may think it is. Yep. Very well said. And that's a big, big problem out there, the perception and all of that. And and I agree. I've been saying for years, you know, a franchise is a small business, just like the mom and pop, real small business, because the person that owns a franchise is your neighbor for the majority of the time. There's 800,000 franchise units in America, separate franchise units, 800,000, and they're all owned by regular people, just regular people like me, a guy who went from a subway conductor in New York City to owning a subway franchise, um, a a smoothie franchise, and then a second franchise, built it, sold it, was able to gain money from that, got into this role to help people you know, change their lives because I'm all about education. You got to get educated about this experience of franchising. So yeah. uh, we, we talk, that's like probably a whole podcast in itself. <laughs> Definitely. You know, I mean, we should probably do that because um, it's really an important issue, especially when you have people in in Washington D.C. As you had mentioned, yet they don't they don't know what a franchise is. They yep. seriously don't understand it. And, and so anyway, we could get into that in the joint joint employment thing and all that stuff. Forget it. But um, but I appreciate you coming on. We're gonna have to bring you back and talk about this particular topic. But um, I appreciate it, Mark. This has been awesome. Great. No, it's been great, Tom. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Look forward to doing it again. Yeah, you're you're a marketing leader for sure, and I just appreciate you taking time to be on the show. Yeah, happy to do it. We'll see you soon. All right. Thank you. Have a great one. Take care. You too. This has been another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. For more info, go to our website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to Tom Scarta's YouTube channel for educational videos on franchising, education, insight, and inspiration.